0: We have been working our way through 1 Peter on the theme, Third Day Living. Several of you have mentioned to me how important that theme has been just to you personally in your own devotional time and perspective as we've been through these almost two months of messages on Third Day Living. The idea of the third day is that Jesus rose again on the third day, and we ought to be living in the light of His resurrection. And that talks about not only... Our witness in the world, but our behavior, the witness of our behavior in the world, and Peter is really focused on that a good bit in his epistle. Someone uh, said to me, well, I wish that my behavior could represent uh, the gospel in a better way, and my thought on that is I wish we were all like Jesus. If we were all like Jesus, the winsome and wonderful Savior the man from Galilee, then folks would really be excited about the good news and the gospel. They'd be attracted to the gospel because they'd see something in our lives. And Jesus is the one who took our sin and our sorrow. He made them his very own. He bore our burden to Calvary, and he suffered and died alone. That's the kind of behavior that changed the world. And if we are willing to take the sin and the sorrow that is about us, to seek to address the shame and the guilt in our own day, if we are willing to bear the burden, even to the point of death, laying down our life for our brother, which is the definition of love, even doing it alone, even if nobody joins us, To suffer and die alone as Jesus did. That kind of behavior represents the gospel faithfully in the world, represents the Savior faithfully in the world, and will draw people to the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, I'm in the last chapter of 1 Peter, chapter 5, and I'm starting with verse 1. I'm glad you're all here today because I know I'm talking to many elders. Some of the elders are young and some of them are old. But Peter addresses the elders in this last chapter of his book. It is an office in the church, by the way, and it refers to the pastor. It is the word that's used interchangeably with elder or bishop in the scriptures. There are three different Greek words, and the word for shepherd is uh, poimen, and it is also the word for pastor. So I've Been all my life a shepherd, pretty much, in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to start with verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away in the same way You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever, and all God's people said, Amen. My friend said, how do you represent... God in the world with your behavior. He was frustrated because he was talking to people about the good news of Jesus Christ, and they weren't receiving it. These were family members and friends and co-workers. And he was sharing with them, and sometimes he was arguing with them. He said, I started arguing religion. And he said, I got tired of it. He said, I'm taking a new tack now. I have a new tactic. I'm not going to argue with about religion anymore with people. And he said, but what do you do when somebody just won't believe? Well, I went back to what Peter talked about with the wives, where he said they may, without a word, be won over by the behavior of their wives. In fact, throughout his letter, Peter's been talking about the kind of behavior that faithfully represents Christ in the world. So I told my friend, I said, it's the behavior. Your behavior will reinforce your words. It's living a life before them that is consistent with the good news of the gospel. And he said, but what do you mean? I mean, I'm just a frail person. I have problems and difficulties, and sometimes I don't get along with people, and there's a guy at work that doesn't know the Lord at all, and sometimes they think he's a better fellow than I am, he said, and maybe I ought to be a little more like him, because he does a better job getting along with people. He said, how in the world is my behavior going to convince somebody about the good news of the gospel? I think that's an important question, particularly in the day When people are watching our behavior like they are now, not only here but around the world, if you call yourself a Christian, they're interested in how you act and the things you do. But it's always been that way, and Peter is addressing that with the people to whom he is writing. And he has some suggestions for them throughout the letter, but here at the close of the letter, some things that you can do that will help those around you understand the gospel. You'll put the gospel in motion through these things. And one of them is to be a shepherd. Peter says, shepherd the flock. Now, he is talking to the elders, okay? But later on, he says, and you younger men in the same way. So he applies this first paragraph to the younger men in the second paragraph. Be a shepherd. I can't help but believe that Peter's thinking back to the Sea of Galilee after Jesus rose from the dead and that amazing encounter that Jesus had with him there by the sea where Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said what? What? Feed my sheep. The second time he says, tend my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Three times Jesus told Peter to feed the sheep, to take care of the sheep. Surely that's in his mind and heart as he talks to the believers around the world who are going to read this letter. And tells them, shepherd the flock. I know you may not feel like a shepherd you may not feel like an elder the truth of the matter is though everybody in the room has somebody watching them I was only 19 when Evergreen Baptist Church decided they wanted to ordain me as a pastor that's too young to be a pastor I was so young and a couple of deacons took me under arm and they had studied the scriptures and they helped me understand, they had me over for dinner, they talked to me. Later on, I found two elderly ladies who wanted me to come by and pray with them. One of them was bedridden. And so I'd go by, and I'd pray with her, and I'd find myself telling her all my troubles as a young pastor, and she began to give me counsel and pray for me. And I was being shepherded by these two older women when I was a very young elder. But I think that what Peter says to the elders applies to everybody in the church because somebody is watching you somebody's watching you and peter says i want you to be an example to the flock now there is more responsibility the scripture says when you are a teacher because you're responsible not only for your behavior but what you teach others so i understand the weight of that and one day i will give an account for the teaching i have done Concerning the word of God. I know that to be true But for everybody We ought to be striving to be examples of what we say we believe If you really believe it you're going to apply it in your life and put it into practice the word example Referred to a writing instrument that was pressed on the parchment and it would leave a line not only Uh, a pencil line but it would leave a pressure line on the parchment. And so the pressure that was applied left the mark of a letter. Some of you have taught your three-year-olds and four-year-olds how to write by very deliberately writing a letter and then having them trace over it. That's the idea of an example, that they're going to trace over the life that you have lived, the way that you handle things, the things that you do. Often when I say to people, well, folks are watching you and you're an example to them of the Christian life, they protest. They don't want to be that. They don't want people looking at them. They feel like it they're being coerced into this role. So shepherd the flock, that God has given you, be it one or two or ten or a hundred, not feeling like you've been coerced, okay, but willingly. God wants you willing. People are going to look at you anyway. If you feel like you've been coerced, you're not going to do the job as well as if you receive the truth that I am a model for somebody, and therefore, I'm going to receive this willingly and understand that people are watching me. If I receive it willingly, I begin to be deliberate and intentional about how I live my life and model the Christian faith and articulate the Christian faith. Brady, the four-year-old, kicked a ball into the street Uh, One day this week. And he tore off after the ball like every kid does. And I hollered out at him as he approached the curb. And he pulled up short right at the curb with his toes on the curb. Just like this. And then I said, Brady, look both ways. So he looks both ways. I said, is anything coming? He says, no. I said, always stop before you go on the street." now go get your ball very intentional very deliberate I don't want him to get run over we need to apply that spiritually in regard to the gospel for the sake of the people who are watching us and waiting for our instruction we need to be intentional and deliberate about conveying these truths other generations have been deliberate about this I think our generation has gotten lazy. Maybe it's just us baby boomers who got lazy about this, but we need to be very careful that we mentor what we say we believe and that we leave an example for folks to follow. Shepherds are very careful with their flock. God says that these shepherds have a flock. shepherds are omnipresent in the bible the Lord is my what shepherd how many of you have actually literally laid your eyes on a shepherd who took care of sheep you see your hands okay there's some of you how many of you have never actually seen a shepherd in physically who takes care of sheep okay many more of you have never seen a shepherd I wish I could describe Barry to you more fully He's about my age. In fact, we graduated from high school together. And he is a shepherd every day of his life. He watches over about 600 ewes and about 1,000 lambs when they lamb. When he walks into the pasture or drives into the pasture, the sheep hear his vehicle, and they know his vehicle, and they come running. If he's with me in a vehicle, he can get out of the vehicle and holler at the sheep, and the sheep come running to the shepherd. Somebody asked me one time, how do you make sheep go into a pen? Because it looks impossible. There's no problem at all. If you feed these sheep, you can put some feed in a bucket, and you can shake that bucket, and they'll go anywhere, follow you anywhere. They'll follow you right into the pen. I guarantee it's true. If Barry the shepherd is having a conversation with his brother Charles about one of the sheep, he can identify a sheep in our, on our farm by a ragged ear or some other quality or characteristic of that sheep and Charles will know immediately what sheep he's talking about and they'll have a conversation about that sheep and whether it's doing well or not they observe how the sheep eat and how they drink all kinds of things you never would imagine but if you listen in you realize this shepherd really cares about the sheep he watches over those sheep and he knows them quite well They're very deliberate in their care of the sheep. They have a lot invested in them. Those shepherds were out in the field the night that Jesus was born. I think, this is my theory, I've never read this anywhere, okay? I think they're out there because the ewes are having their lambs. They always do, somewhere near to the winter equinox. And when the ewes are having their lambs, those shepherds are out there watching over those little lambs and the sheep. Because both the mother and the lamb are most vulnerable when they are having, uh, when that lamb's being born. So they're just taking care of them. Think about the role you have as an elder to somebody, a shepherd to somebody. Some child, some adult, some friend who respects you, some person at work who looks to you and asks you questions. Think about the role that you have with them. Willingly accept the truth that you are a model for that person. You have articulated your faith, perhaps, and they are watching to see how it works out in you. The power of persuasion in your behavior is enhanced and maximized when you willingly accept this truth that you cannot only speak the gospel, but you must live the gospel before these people with whom you have relationships. It is vitally important that you accept this willingly, that you take on this responsibility, that you live it out. Thank you to all of you who are small group leaders, who lead our mission teams into the city, every week. You too are shepherding flocks. I hope you see it that way, that you are in the role of a mentor to people. Most of us learn by doing. We process things theoretically, and some of us learn by hearing and seeing, but many of us learn best by doing. And when we carry somebody with us to a feeding station or to the nursing home or to the juvenile detention center when we take somebody with us to make a visit or deliver a meal we're helping them understand the gospel and sometimes people don't even get the gospel until they have done it until they have actively cared for somebody in the name of Jesus and then they look back and say oh all right I think I understand this I see what you are doing My father did this for us when we were just little. He took us with us on multi-day mission trips to Mexico and had us sing in the churches and minister in whatever way we could in the orphanages. Do the gospel and you will learn it. It will get embedded in your heart, in your soul. You are shepherds. You're taking care of a flock. Don't do it under constraint. Do it willingly. You have a chief shepherd to whom you will give account one day. Second thing about your behavior. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. He says, be humble. He says it over and over again in this letter. He is calling for humility. One of his favorite words in this letter is submit. He uses it here in this passage. Submit yourselves. Be humble. Humble yourselves. Something about Jesus. So attractive to all of us. He focused on others. Others. He cared for them. He laid down his life for his friends. It is a powerful way to live. Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility. It was Shakespeare who said, the clothes make the man. Do You remember that? The clothes make the man. People look at what you're wearing and they make assumptions about you. You sort of announce some things about you by what you wear. And Peter says, I have something that I want you to put on as a follower of Jesus. I want you to clothe yourselves. I think about a robe, you know, that goes all the way from the shoulders and the collar all the way down to the floor. Clothe yourselves with humility. Who in the world wants that much Humility. Do you really want that much humility? Do you want to be clothed with humility? Would you like humility to be part of your presentation in the world? Not everybody wants humility. Not everybody practices humility. But we serve a humble God who bent down to care for us, and a humble Lord, who laid aside his other tasks and knelt down in front of the disciples and washed their feet. This drama of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, it so impacts us. Everybody who's ever read about it remembers it to this day. Peter, who experienced it, protested when Jesus first tried to wash his feet. Never. You're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, look, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. And so Peter consented to having his feet washed. Jesus sat down after he washed the feet of the disciples and he said, I've given you a model. I've given you an example. I want you to behave like this. My friend says, what kind of behavior would actually get the attention of people in the world. How can I enflesh the gospel with my behavior? Maybe it's here. Maybe it's right here in the foot washing. Maybe there is, in fact, in your life today, with somebody that you really care about, an act of foot washing that you could accomplish that would, more than anything you could say, dramatically demonstrate the gospel. Think about it. Is there somebody with a need in your life to whom you could go at some cost to yourself and demonstrate your love for them by serving them? Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know. Maybe at some point in my life, when I get past this pain, I could do that. Peter says, Watch out when you're hurting, because you're going to be tempted to pride in your pain. This is how it happens. Suffering comes upon you. Maybe it is unjust. Maybe you feel it is undeserved. Maybe it's at work. Maybe in the family. And all of a sudden, you are hurting. Like people around the world are hurting. Suffering comes to us all. And you have this rising up in you that says, I have been a good person. I have tried to keep the the rules. I don't deserve this. Peter is warning you at the point of your pain that if you let pride take hold of your heart and you begin to exalt your moral excellence and sing about it even to yourself, you are in danger. Right then, you are in spiritual danger. You are vulnerable in your pain to this kind of pride. Sometimes pain collapses your life on itself. You can't seem to get free of it. Not in your mind, not in your heart. You know how pain is. Even if it's a small member of the body, like a toe or a finger, if it's really hurting, it causes you to focus on it. It draws your attention to itself. Some people are so captivated by their pain that to suggest they should wash the feet of anybody else seems preposterous and impossible to them in the present moment because they're consumed with their own trouble and their own heartache. And what I'm saying is there's a way out of your own trouble and your own heartache by looking over here at somebody that needs you and needs their feet washed. And if you will be a servant to the person in need, God will address your own hurt and your pain. It is part of the healing process for you to break away from the captivation that your sorrow has created and reach out to somebody who needs you. If you will do so, you will model the kind of servanthood that Jesus demonstrated when he died for you on the cross. Because the cross kind of love is caring for others, even when you are in pain. The story of Jesus on the cross is him taking care of his mother, taking care of the beloved disciple, taking care of the thief who said, remember me, taking care of the man who is at the foot of the cross looking up at him. He is continually throughout his sorrow and his trouble and his suffering Looking out for other people. That's the kind of caring that Jesus demonstrated in the cross and that he wants to demonstrate in us. What I'm saying to you, there is a kind of lifestyle, and it is radical, that breaks out of its own holds and bars and chains, its own interests, its preoccupation with itself. There's a kind of lifestyle that breaks out of that into the liberty that God gives us to serve one another. Humble yourselves, that is, see yourself as a servant. Don't lord it over other people, Peter says here, not lording over the flock, but loving them and caring for them. Peter says, third thing, resist the devil. Resist him. He knows the devil's going to come to you when you're in pain. He did this with Jesus after 40 days of fasting. He tempted him with making bread from the stones, remember? When you're in trouble, when you're hurting, the devil sees an opportunity to get in And work that pride up and isolate you from the people that love you and the sources of spiritual nourishment that give you strength. So if you are hurting, resist the devil, resist the temptation to arrogance in your pain, to pride in your pain, to trumpeting your moral excellence and say, no, I'm not going that way. What am I going to do in my trouble and pain? I am going to seek to be clothed with humility and be the servant God has called me to be every day in every way. If you decide that you're going to model the Christian faith for people who are watching you, the devil's going to come after you. He is looking for somebody to devour. And you must resist him. After having two prominent ministers in our community fall in the way they have fallen, wouldn't it be wise for every person in this room right now to look at your own life and say, Lord, is it I? we cannot control what other people do we should continually look to jesus more so than to people we can't help it we look to people we can't control what people do sometimes they disappoint us terribly And you say, well, how in the world can any good thing come out of these ugly situations? And here's the key. Lord, let my response to this disaster bring you glory. Lord, help what I do in response to these troubles bring you glory. God, don't let the devil take advantage of me in this situation. I'm resisting him. And I'm saying, God, I want my words and my behavior to bring you glory as I respond to the trouble that's come. You can't control what happens. Or what other people choose to do but you can control what you do next and you can pray from your heart Lord I want you to be exalted in my life and I don't want to be part of the problem I want to be close to you I think that the Lord of his church is honored when we take a look at ourselves and say, is there anything I am practicing, any habit in my life that weakens me spiritually and deals death to my soul? And if there is, to resist it like it were the devil, which it is, and say, God, I want to be pure. I want to be clean. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Say, I don't know why I'd want to live this kind of life, clothe myself with humility, see myself as a shepherd, resist the temptations that always look so good. You only want to do this if you're living in the third day. See, this is third day living. This is how you live life after you have seen Jesus alive. After the grave is empty and he appears to you and you confess that Jesus is risen from the dead. This is how you live life. Now, how can you take verse 10 literally? You're suffering for a while, but it's painful. And it doesn't seem for a while when the pains come on you, when it's your story. For a little while, you're enduring this suffering. But after this, God is going to restore you and give you strength, make you firm, help you be strong. What's he talking about? Well, we serve a Savior who died naked on a cross. Do we not? The Lord Jesus died on a cross. And if that had been the end of the story, it would not have been celebrated as the greatest victory in human history. It's what happened three days later that changes everything about the Jesus story. Three days later, the grave is empty and he is alive never to die again. See, if you believe that, If you really believe that, do you really believe that? Then you know ultimately you will be restored. No matter what happens to you here, there is restoration, there is strength, there is a wonderful future. There is a glory waiting for you, a glory to be revealed because Jesus has risen from the dead, and all who trust him follow him in this resurrection I challenge you this is the way to live this is third day living and it changes your world let's bow together Heavenly Father Lord we confess that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus we're third day people But, Father, sometimes we don't live that way. So we pray that you would help us make our life consistent with our words. Help us to value the things that are eternal, not to be captured by the things that are temporary. Lord, help us to receive joyfully and willingly the challenge of not only speaking your word, but modeling what it means to be a follower of Jesus. God, give us strength to put on the garment of humility, to live in the world this way because it's how you lived, and we're following you. Show us the one in our life who needs a foot washing. God, help us to be strong enough, brave enough, big enough to wash their feet and so demonstrate the love of Christ to them. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with temptation, maybe a besetting sin that just keeps coming back, so discouraging, so depressing, so debilitating. God deliver me we come to you as your children we want to represent you well in our community and city purify our hearts make us like you we ask in Jesus name